I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch the movie that got David Cronenberg evicted. How you doing? It's the last episode of Slugfest. <laughs> and yet again, we're doing this annoying voice for an audience of one. <laughs> Literally, well, we've only heard positive feedback from one fan. <laughs> that fan was immensely positive. <laughs> we uh, This is another episode with no guest. No guest. We were supposed to have a guest, Beth Powder. Uh, we uh, Unfortunately, our schedules just did not work out. Uh, this time around, but uh, we've already uh, made some made some plans to reschedule in either December or January. So we're we're extremely excited to have her on. Uh, we would have loved to, uh, you know, she she picked this one right out of the gate. She wanted to talk about shivers, and uh, it would have been it would have been great to have her on. But we'll look forward to her uh, future appearance that we'll announce at some point uh, next month or two. And uh, it's kind of appropriate that we don't have a guest because that means that we get to uh, go through our Spooktober lists uh, in solitude. And we uh, get to do a lot of goofing around slug voices that are only for us. <laughs> I'm not sure Morgan enjoyed the slug voice as much as we did. <laughs> he definitely was like, they just like entertaining themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to get it a lot a lot out front this time because this movie has a more serious subject matter. <laughs> How many how many guests do you think humor laugh at us? Like at least I'd 100%. say hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be my number two. Uh have we had a guest that's just sat quietly while we we banter with one another? Because that would be the only one that uh would happen. I feel like that did happen once. <laughs> <laughs> Here look. Diehard fans, you know those people that slow down, you know how iTunes gives that 0.5 uh, times uh, speed for no reason? Like, who the fuck is listening to podcasts at, ha- at half speed? Not- <laughs> like, no, let's make this two hours, four hours long. Oh. Um, yeah, why do you want, like, why do you want tantric dumbassery? Yeah, but if, for those people, I imagine that they have noticed that, once again, our inconsistency of character, I think my voice has been mildly different each time, uh, because it depends on how much I talked at work that day, and how much it hurts to do at night. <laughs> I'm definitely doing the voice more tonight, because last night I really didn't feel like doing it. Yeah, it was, I mean, to be honest, it's a burden that we've placed on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if we ever decide to do a slugfest too, this voice is going to come up as a make or break situation. <laughs> People will say, oh, that was kind of funny the first time. That's I think that's probably what they say for most of our jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, mildly amusing. And yeah, then, that should uh, be our new nah. tagline for our network. We love to watch. It was mildly funny the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so... Which anyway. actually, you know, that shows a lot in our future sport, parts one and two, because part one got like 300 listens, and part two is our least listened to <laughs> episode on the network. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, I don't think it was because of quality, it wasn't like our hearts weren't in it. We were very excited about a future we sport, were, part two. 
We were so excited. Our audience, well, we was were not. we were su- we were surprised at the appetite for the first one, to be honest. But then we they they did not come back for that second one. Literally, less than a third of the audience was like, "No, nah, I get it." Yeah, have you heard the expression uh, "fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice"? That's why we've had to retire. Uh, Zayner Kane. Zayner Kane. The audience has spoken, and they said. Uh, Zane or Kane, we'll take third option, uh, none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Zane, Kane, delete podcast. Yeah. Uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> um, so uh, we didn't say it yet, but we are doing uh, Shivers. It's the last episode of Slugfest. David Cronenberg's um, sort of his first movie, I would say. He did uh, Stereo as his like actual debut, which is like 60 minutes. And then um, another one, Crimes of the Future, which I don't think were like true movies in the sense of like released by a studio or had funding right the shorts as well as some of his early features were more um art films they weren't intended for like a commercial audience shivers was his first movie in 1975 to be uh intended for an audience and it was made as such it was funded as such by the canadian government oh and we're gonna and we're gonna talk so much about that because yeah this this movie definitely ends slugfest. I think we do, we 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 done we done did the three extremely fun Spooktober movies, and uh, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. But it definitely is not exactly ending on the same tone that uh, the first three movies hopefully created. So, but having said that, before we kind of get into the shivers proper, Peter, it is October seventeenth, twenty seventeen. It's week three of our Spooktober recaps. We're a little over halfway. Uh, last, the first two weeks I've been beating you. I was so confident in um, how much I'm demolishing you this year that I said, if you beat me even one of these weeks, I'm going to cut off one of my feet. Peter, what's your total right now? Uh, my total right now uh, with the two repeats is 32. So 30 without the two repeats. Okay. Uh, so, hey, Aaron, so just uh, real quickly, just for I It's 32. 30, I mean, 33. <laughs> uh, what? Name 33. Them. I, uh, yeah, each chapter of a DVD, I consider its own movie. They have titles, Peter. <laughs> I've watched 117. So watched 170 movies. 117 movies. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, no, I'll, I'll get the bone saw later, but I'm at uh, 26. Uh, rewatches and 24 new ones. I don't know how you overtook me so hard in one week. I'm legitimately uh, frustrated and annoyed at how you were able to overtake me uh, <laughs> so hard in one week. And mm-hmm. it also shows me in a lot of ways I was never actually in the lead because I was maintaining a comfortable distance from you by one or two movies, only that you were out of town at a funeral for five days. And the second I guess you're fucking back in town for a week, oh, I'll just watch all the movies. <laughs> so I, I next um, time if four of your of your girlfriend's relatives could die, preferably old ones, preferably not great ones. Um, yeah, I did have to take some time off, and then I was like, shit, like I kind of like stored up my Spooktober energy. Uh, you know, as a you know a character from Dragon Ball Z might, uh, you know, store up his Super Saiyan energy to release it. I've seen two episodes of Dragon Ball Z. And then I went from, yeah, 16 movies, or excuse me, 15 movies to 32 in the past week. Uh, and I had a pretty, pretty positive week uh, overall. 
Uh, Aaron, how's your? How did your week go? Have you lost any of your energy? Not at all, actually. Um, uh, and I'm I'm kind of itching to watch more. I've also been kind of saving like some really big ones that I've been excited about for that final week, and I have at least like ten or twelve that I've been literally stopping myself from like, okay, not Spider Baby yet. Save Spider Baby is going to be a really fun thing to save. I'm doing that with a dark song right now. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've I haven't watched that, that one either, uh, and it is on my list. So, so I'm actually going to start because um, for my kids' corner, I know we actually watched the same movie, and I want to be able to do the kids' corner song. So, if you don't mind, mm. me, 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 me. Well, no, we no. We'll I'll, I'll start. It's the last one that I did, okay. Peter. Okay, go. It's a structure. Just please go with it. It's all. It's all I have after you're beating me so bad. <laughs> Okay, um, so Aaron, talk about your movie. Yeah, I guess. Um, so I watched uh, Faust, Love of the Damned. The Yuz pick. The Yuz no pick. <laughs> um, I love paging it. Brandon Cronenberg <laughs> or Brandon Lede. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I don't. I don't think he's gonna have any problem with that Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be the best compliment he's ever received. Oh my god, um, yeah. I mean, uh, what is this? Uh, I'm confusing it because uh, David Cronenberg's son, Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, is a director. So that's why my brain got dummied. Oh, no, I get it. You don't need to explain yourself. You can just have a dummy brain. We record oh, okay. for hours and we drink. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. It was the, the music's garbage. Like, it's not a good movie. And to to continue talking about Brandon Lede uh, dash hyphen Cronenberg, um, <laughs> it's what he would call a trash movie. It is a trash movie, but it is Still has, like, Yuzna is such an underrated horror director, the way he, like, frames all his scenes so claustrophobic, and he just has a over-the-top grossness. It it felt very unique, even if it isn't as well-made or, or well-acted as some of his other movies. Uh, so I watched uh, Paranormal Activity 2 and 3, which I'd never seen. I'm a big fan of 3. 2's okay. I th- I'm a big fan of 3 and 1, I think. Uh, I think three is by far my favorite. Uh, I saw one in theaters. Their idea to kind of really add to the the narrative and the fiction in this world was pretty genius so that each one kind of builds on the other one. So two, I really liked. But then three, three was by far, I think, uh, both a culmination of the two other movies uh, and uh, and the best one of the series. So I, I loved it. I agree, too. Uh I watched a couple anthology movies, uh, XX. Okay. Which I loved. I um, loved, I don't, too. I don't know why it got a mixed reaction. Like, it's true that the St. Vincent segment is kind of the weak part, but everything else. No, it's else, not, so it's fine. What's, what's your, what, do you think there's a weak one? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't really think there's, I don't really think there's a weak one. I just think that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a blow people away type movie in a lot of senses like there wasn't like a a big like monster like in the raid 2 has that um has a safe haven like there oh, wasn't like a v- mon- VHS, VHS 2 oh yeah sorry VHS 2 has a safe haven which yeah. is like this monster segment I mean that literally and sort of like uh, in terms of criticism like it has this segment that people are just going to be talking about for a long time afterwards and we are still talking about years later it doesn't have a segment that just stands out and like just eats up all the oxygen um, which I think was part of the reason it was kind of ignored and also some sexism I mean it's a movie that is specifically about yeah. gender roles um my favorite thing about it is that the first segment, I think they wrote it, f- like, it sounds like it's written with the man and woman roles. Switched. Switched entirely. Yep. And it's so genius how just doing that one switch makes kind of just, like, normal dialogue really ring unique. 
What was your uh, What was your favorite segment? Probably the first one because I have nightmares about it. I had nightmares about it. God, it was so good. There was something like ineffably creepy um, about it. Um, I really liked the one that a lot of people thought was the favorite. The last one, the my only son Mm -hmm. or he's my only son. Yeah, I I, I really like the whole thing. Uh, I was uh, a but uh, yeah, I I don't really know. I was ignored. I would love to see it be a yearly anthology thing like. Like they tried to do with VHS. I would love to it just be XX2, a thing. State of the Union. <laughs> uh, I don't know why like Blumhouse or something couldn't pick this yeah. up and just like, come on in. Like you might get rich off of this or it might not make any money. Whatever. We'll pick it up. Yeah, no, I agree. I'd love to see another one. I watched Gerald's Game. I also watched that. Which uh, I did not like as much as you, Peter, if your letterbox star rating is any indication. I hate to echo the uh, consensus of every other person and feel very unoriginal, but man, those last 15 minutes just... I completely agree. Sunk the... like. I don't think they sunk the movie, but the last 15 minutes, I'm like, what the fuck were they doing in the movie? Yeah, I lo- it, but it, it felt like it lost like an entire star rating. If I was showing it to someone, I would just stop it at, I think it's like an hour and 28 minutes whenever that car accident happens. Like, that's good. Unplug. Turn it off. If you're listening, 128. Stop it. There's- and I'm, I'm even fine with her starting a foundation to help, uh, you know, sexual assault survivors. I think that's a good little epilogue. Um, I found that it's mystery. It's 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 the Moonlight Man mystery becoming and we won't get into the spoilers, but the Moonlight Man thing becoming so grounded in in reality that really just made me irked me a lot. Yeah, it. uh, So uh, I watched the other anthology I watched was a little movie called Night Train to Terror. I also watched Night Train to Terror. (laughs) I think on my recommendation. If I I did, I was looking for a nice little anthology to. to... Holy cow! This this movie is like the room of anthology horror movies. It is. If you've never heard of it, it is ostensibly about God and Satan on a train deciding. The fate of a band. That was the description I read. The worst band. I I had no fucking idea that there was – that it was an anthology movie before I watched it, let alone that the uh, three anthology segments, which are about 20 minutes each, are taken from other – full-length movies, including one unfinished one. These are already, like, bad, cheap movies that you've never heard of, probably, but they are hacked together incomprehensibly, and it is wonderful. Uh, it is wonderful, and they get crazier as they go, and they it, it, it does beg the question. It does answer a question, and because it, 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 Mitch makes it not disposal. It, it answers a question that is, what would happen if you just cut out all of the boring talky parts of these slasher movies and then just had the crazy scenes and then some dialogue that happens to be in the crazy scenes because these bits, these sections are legitimately hard to follow in a way that like Eyes of My Mother or Darling is hard to follow, like a modern indie horror because like it's so cut to the bone, but like not with the same sort of like beautiful finesse that those latter movies have. So here's what's crazy, though. So after I posted about watching it, I, I, I'm forgetting who it was. So I apologize if you or someone who's listening who uh, posted about about the three movies they took them from is that they didn't take a movie and tell the story and cut out bits. 
they took random parts. So, like, the second movie about the death club or whatever, that's the first 30 minutes of that movie with, like, some stuff taken out. And then there's a twist that the rest of the movie is about something completely different that we didn't see. It's smart, though, because I wanted to see an entire movie about this, like, 13 Zanetti-esque death cult. <laughs> so, yeah, it's only the first one with Bull from Night Court that is was never finished. The other two are full movies. The uh, The third one... <laughs> With all of the terrible claymation uh, demons. I loved it. That is on uh, Amazon Prime, and I added it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it this year. but And for a while, I was doing some digging because I was convinced it was a religious film. Like it does a, feel like, like a, one. Like a Thief in the Night type movie. And it is, as far as I can tell, it is not. But it is nuts. Yeah. Just watch. Um, and then it is time for Kids Corner. Kids, Kids Corner. We're talking about Kids Corner. It's a corner for kids, and you put the kids in the corner, but not and because they be misbehaved. Because you want them to watch a movie. Don't have them face the corner, unless the TV's in there, too. <laughs> Honestly, putting your TV in the corner of the room is a good way to get a nice wide view of listeners or watchers. <laughs> God damn it. People ask us why we don't have a theme song. Now you know. Oh. <laughs> it's Kids Corner Show. Kids Corner. Brought to you by Hasbro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm receiving word that Hasbro says, um, we'll sue your asses. We'll sue, we'll sue your ass. Brought to you by Brohass. <laughs> Um, not associated or affiliated with Hasbro. Um, So for Kids Corner this week, I was kind of hedging my bets. I actually was like, look, I've heard this is scary. Sure. Um, I I had never never seen it, and people liked it. People said it was scary. I'll tell you what. What I was anticipating with this movie was like a Willy Wonka. Like it has one scary scene that everyone talks about as kind of creepy. But it wasn't like a horror movie. It wasn't like a Monster Squad or a Monster House or some of these other like horror movies that are legitimately marketed for kids. And I, re- I, I actually hedged my bets. I was, I was saying, look, I'm going to watch this for Spooktober. I said it to some people in our horror group. I said it to you. You know, if it doesn't come out a horror movie, I'm still counting it because fuck, I'm taking the time to watch it. So I'm going to say two things. I'll tell you what the movie is. First, I'm also going to say that this is the only movie that I've seen new. That I've rated five stars so far this Spooktober. Now, again, I'm saving a lot of heavy hitters for the end. But I absolutely loved it. And that movie – and it is absolutely 100% a horror movie. It actually creeped me out more than most of the movies I've seen this month, which are 24 other movies. And that movie is Return to Oz. And I also watched Return to Oz. Yeah, it is a horror movie for kids and like a really fucked up horror movie. It is. It is a really creepy movie. And in some ways, it's gotten creepier because I think claymation or uh, style animation uh, really creeps kids out now. I don't think it's something that like has aged in a way that like kids find it charming. I think it's aged in a way that adults find it charming. Yeah, it is. I would never show this to to uh, my daughter when she when she's young. Uh, and I would show her a lot of stuff. Like, we actually already watched Nightmare Before Christmas, and she really liked it. But, yeah, this this was something else. Like, I, the Wheelers specifically, like, really fucking freaked me out, Peter. Like, they are 
uh, original and and scary as shit. So the performances of the actors in the they're these sort of hunched over freak. Uh, and I kind of don't want to spoil what the Wheelers are because in the movie there's such a creepy suspenseful build up to what the Wheelers are. There's this wall with beware the Wheelers on it that like yeah when she walks into the Emerald City and she walks along the the golden uh, brick road. Um, the yellow brick. The road. yellow brick. Road, Are you me. fucking kidding? I'm thinking <laughs> there's of there's a whole there's a whole song, Peter. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of <laughs> now. I can't get out of my head that fucking uh, people's theory that uh, it was written uh, as like a, a call for people to return to the gold standard, and the yellow brick road will lead us to <laughs> prosperity and whatever. And the and the yellow brick road is gold bricks, whatever. I, I I now I can't get that out of my head <laughs> now that like I've heard a few like forty year old men tell me this. So. Uh, the the road on the yellow brick road to the emerald city not only gives me dark souls feels but it really does give me um dark tower feels the sort of like poisoned fantasy world where like everything you love is dead but it still kind of resembles it in a colorful way the movie itself is i mean first of all it starts with like uh, Dorothy being put into a sanitarium and they're going to fix her delusions by uh, electroshock therapy, which and is pretty, which is a pretty disturbing follow up to everyone thinks she's insane. And think about this, Aaron. We're in a world of bad fan theories. What would you guess the bad fan, fan theory is about this movie? Um, That she did get the electroshock therapy and that's what we saw. She is on the table. The power goes out right as they're about to flick the switch or have already flicked the switch. And then she escapes during the, yeah. the therapy is about to be administered. It's actually a better fa- a basis for a fan theory than 90% of fan theories. That's how fucked yeah. up this movie is that the entire return to Oz might be the delusions of somebody whose brain is just like firing on yeah. all cylinders because yeah. she's going through electroshock therapy. It's that fucked up of a movie. At the end of the original Wizard of Oz... Her house is back, right? Like she, uh, you know, she just like, oh, there was a tornado, but it was a dream. It's like the Peter Pan ending. And in this, the house was actually destroyed. The family can't survive. And their little girl has been talking about this fantasy world as like a means to cope, they think. So they literally send her to an asylum where, uh, you know, 19th century scientists are going to try to fix her brain. And then when she does get back to Oz, she doesn't go with Toto this time. Instead, it's a fucking chicken. Um, so, like, that kind of comfort of her warm uh, dog companion isn't there. Yeah, Toto gets abandoned at home. Yeah, and then it's just a never-ending cavalcade of, like, everything you loved in this magical world is destroyed and decayed, captured, evil has run the land, there's no friends here for you anymore, Everyone's out to kill you. Like, time has passed and you're not wanted or needed here anymore. And that's what the fucking movie's about. So it's not just like, oh, there's some scary monsters. Like, thematically, it is such a dark uh, movie, uh, rated PG, produced by Disney for kids. <laughs> it's a dark movie, very creepy. I imagine, like I said, I imagine it gets creepier for kids today. And it, it feels like a movie that's punishing you for being a fan of the original. Oh, uh, anyways, uh, so what'd you watch, Peter? Anything else in the kids' corner? No, that's oh well. I mean, I, that's not true. I did watch um, Alvin and the Chipmunks meets the Wolfman. How was that? Did the Wolfman oh. eat the chipmunks? And that was the last movie. Uh, it was pretty scary for an Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, straight to DVD movie. But it's a movie. It's eighty minutes. I'm fucking counting it. Did you watch, watch it with your daughter? With, of course. Awesome. Uh, 
Uh, and she she's now really into Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, I was uh, this month I watched uh, from the kids corner. And I not only did I watch Return to Oz, I also watched a little movie that we're watching for Hey Vern. It's a podcast. Uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. Uh, which I don't was a fan tell of, me anything about we're which I was a fan a of and okay. I'd like to remind people that Aaron will be uh, guesting on Haver and it's a podcast uh, next I will be I'm watching the movie tomorrow uh, spoiler alert I'm going to talk about more on the podcast never seen an Ernest movie you're going to be just fine but I'm really excited for your questions which I will not answer until we're recording uh, so uh, that, that was uh, the only Kids Corner uh, things for this week. Um, as a weirdo that I watched this movie this week as well, uh, I watched both the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, uh, which I had some problems with the score uh, of and the pacing of, but overall the visuals are gorgeous. Uh, as you've heard, Lon Chaney is amazing in it. Uh, he sort of carries the movie in the same way that Bela Lugosi carries the original Dracula. Uh, and then I also watched the Joel Schumacher Phantom of the Opera musical uh, with my girlfriend because she has a uh, she really likes the um, Andrew Lloyd Webber musical uh, version of Phantom of the Opera and I never seen it and it is interesting that is uh, this month I've watched now three versions of Phantom of the Opera it is your favorite was the forty five one I imagine my favorite one was the forty five one yes because I think having the actual music during the performances and getting to hear Christine sing and getting to hear the Phantom play all that kind of uh, mixes together and, and, and kind of pulls on my heartstrings more as like a human drama of hurt people going up against each other as opposed to the silent one which is kind of like the last 30 40 minutes you're like oh i i want this monster dead and in the musical version uh a phantom of the opera the fucking jerry butts uh gerard butler is oh oh, gb gb uh game boy color is so fucking awful uh, whoever plays christine is great i need to learn her name and then forget gerard butler's name that's the dream she is she's she is uh em- emmy rossum she is amazing she gives a sense of pathos to it it's got it, the movie has a really uh, wonderful sense of um staging like it's a really it, it's a really like lavish musical but it is super slow they wanted to get every fucking piece of the musical in there, which means it's so long. And uh, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I am glad I watched it with my girlfriend because like it's a, it's something that she's like, the, at least the original songs and stuff are something she's attached to. But the movie itself, not great. Uh, not, not a great musical in my year of trying to take back musicals for myself. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, you don't need to. Um, you can listen to like a cast recording or something and probably like... I'm good. Do the thing. Not, not, I'm not saying a recording of the movie. I'm saying an actual cast recording from like people that are extremely talented. Uh, oh, I thought you meant the cast of the Joel Schumacher no. Phantom of the Opera movie. No. Videotaping a recording of the movie being played. <laughs> and then like yeah. sending that to me on, I don't know, VHS. Yeah, I meant the worst thing ever possible. That's what I meant. Um, oh, so I, I figured it was the most convoluted <laughs> and... Uh, non-existent way yeah i would be watching uh i wanted you to go down the path of most resistance um uh, this <laughs> so, of impossible <laughs> so uh this week i watched uh, a lot of classic horror as well uh so i watched uh a bunch of anthologies i watched uh tales of terror 
which is a uh, Roger Corman, uh, a part of his post cycle. Um, yep. Vincent Price is amazing in all three segments, but I don't think it's uh, the best, uh, you know, Corman Poe movie. I also don't think it's the best anthology movie, but I, I do think it's a fun movie to watch. I'm, it's a, like a lean 90 minutes. Uh, Night Train to Terror, we already talked about. Uh, last week, we talked about Dead Time Stories. Uh, but the one I want to highlight this week. Oh, you watched Dead Time Stories. I did. Not a big, not Man. a big fan, but the anthology I want to highlight is from Beyond the Grave, which is a Amicus production. Uh, I've now recently discovered my favorite era of horror was basically the Amicus era. Those Amicus anthology movies are like a hug. They're just like my favorite thing. I, I, I love getting to see like so it's like it's like raindrops on roses, whispers on kittens. Yes. I think it might be Whiskers. Whiskers on Kittens mm. and Amicus Horror. Whispers on Kittens? <laughs> yeah. What are you hey, telling these kids? Got... Hey, go in the litter box. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with, with cats is that uh, people are yelling at them. You're supposed to be whispering to them. They they respect your quietness. Cats are very quiet keep creatures. Hey, stop fucking biting me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, spoiler alert. We just, we just got a goddamn kitten. Oh, God. Like three weeks ago, but still. It's going through a fucking puberty and it's biting all the time and I'm not a fan. It doesn't like being held anymore, so there's no love. There's no affection. It's just, occasionally I like shake a bell at it. God. <laughs> it's, it's super into it. Uh, From Beyond the Grave <laughs> is a great uh, example of the Amicus Horror era. Uh, it's got, you know, Peter Cushing being like, it, it's got like a really like, great set of shorts it's the movie that i uh, he's cushioning it he's cushioning it it's really funny but it's also dark just like tales from the crypt and vault of horror and uh yeah I, i'm really glad that i've saved this one uh amicus group of of shorts for for now because i'm running low now um i watched a shit ton of them last year like asylum and and such so i uh I'm uh, I'm running low now, but yeah, From Beyond the Grave is is a great recommendation I have. Um, I watched two Japanese movies called Kuroneko uh, from 1950. I watched Kuroneko from 1968, and then I watched Infection from 2004. And uh, the older how many of these did you watch with an erection while working out at the gym? Uh, none of them. Kuroneko I watched on the on a uh, bathroom floor while I had some sort of stomach bug. Um, which was definitely what the director intended. Um, uh, Infection, I don't recommend at all. It's one of those movies okay. that is like fucking like set up, set up, set up. And then when is it finally has time to like deliver, it just shits the bed. So for the last two I watched, I watched uh, Call of Cthulhu, which was this 2005. Oh, the 2005 silent one. Yes. Uh, Great. Which is a, it's a very low budget movie, but it's attempting to look like a silent movie made in the era of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, it's made by... A whole team that's also associated with the H.P. Lovecraft, Lovecraft Literary Society. I'm a big fan of What'd the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, just as a little plug. And those guys are, are great, and they were involved in it. Uh, I liked it. It is 47 minutes. Uh, it is mostly captures the silent feel, uh, but on occasion there's a few shots that are just composited wrong, I will say. Um, but yeah, overall, it's good. Just because this has gone on so long... Let's just wrap it up. Yeah, more movies next week, everyone. Don't worry, we still have two more recap weeks and a lot of big ones that we've probably both been saving. So 
Hopefully you've been having as good of a spooktober as uh, we have so far at about the halfway point. Hopefully one of your good friends uh, wasn't losing to you at some sort of uh, horror race and then came in from behind at the end to like literally get an eight movie lead or some shit. Some fucking bullshit. How do you do that in a week and uh, and really put your friendship to a test that it's never faced before? But otherwise, I hope it's going really good for all. Yeah, I just you know maybe um, I wanted to see you lose a fucking foot. That's all I really care about. I would like to not hear from you on this subject anymore. We'll see where we're at next week. <laughs> yeah, that went on for a while, but uh... easily editable. That I like talking about horror movies with you, buddy. Uh, so let's talk about. David Cronenberg's slug movie to wrap up one single tier slugfest. Shivers. Shivers. Peter, you are 92nd recap. I'd love to be. Um, that's good because you are. So it's good to love to be what you are. I love my station in life right now. Instead of doing a, uh alternate tagline. It sounds like you're trying to get out of your responsibility. Well, you know, I was trying to like replace it with something more interesting. Like, a, but, you know, be a creative person and throw out new ideas to the wall. But you know what? I'm still I'm still not going to do the five second <laughs> recap. <laughs> I forgot. It's been twenty episodes. I still don't remember what it is. So this movie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enact a quick one act play. Please do about the naming of this uh, movie. It's gonna be a bridge, so it's not gonna be complete, but the gist is gonna be there. So hey, I'm, I'm, I'm producer Money Man, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna produce your movie, kid. It's all ready to go. We're gonna release it to theaters. What do you want to call it? Uh, I want to call it. Uh, I'm young David Cronenberg, and I'd like to call it uh, Orgy of the Body Parasites. Oh my gosh, kid! No, no! I'm afraid to even ask you for a for a second option. I'm sure it's going to be equally horrible. But oh, I don't know why you would think that would be acceptable. What's your second option? Uh, shivers. Oh, no, that's yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, we can definitely <laughs> call it shivers. Your two options. Were orgy of the body parasites and shivers? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't like a, a slow decline towards shivers. It was like, no. all right, well, plan B. Um, we're going minimalist on this one. <laughs> maybe, maybe this was a thing where he was like, I got this fucking weird idea. And then he pitched that and they were like, no. And then whatever his plan B was sounded amazing. Do you think, yeah, do you think that... Um, when they t- they told him no so forcefully and told him to pick so quickly that he got shivers down his spine uh, from the rage being directed at him. And, um, and the first thing that came to mind on such short notice and in fearful, probably wet pants said uh, shivers. Oh, my God. Cronenberg has such a wet little dyke. He I mean, if anyone wet their pants into adulthood. I would guess about all of our famous directors, I'd probably guess Cronenberg because 
all of his movies are about the way the body works against you, and bedwetting into your teens is definitely a real example of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the movie was also at one point known as They Came From Within, which I, is my personal pick for best title. Shivers is, is close, but uh, They Came From Within is a sort of hints at the subversive nature of the movie. Unlike Orgy of the Body Parasites, which is a little on the nose. Orgy of the Body Parasites for sure sounds like an Ed Wood movie, doesn't it? <laughs> and, a, and a little, like, giving away the game. But like an Ed Wood movie once he had switched to plastic handles. Uh, so, Peter, 90 second recap. Uh, 90 second recap. We're in a uh, luxury apartment complex on, uh, is it Nuns Island? It's this island in Montreal. Yep. Uh, and it's yep. sort of a... Bill Nunes, I think. Uh... Republican congressman named after. Wait, what? Just fuck it. Just uh, okay. Just <laughs> Sorry. <fucking laughs> so uh, this island in Montreal where, uh, you know, David Cronenberg hails from uh, has a, uh, you know, a bunch of different types of tenants. And one of them is a uh, mad scientist, essentially, who uh, has been having sex with a one of his students since they were 12. And we... They've been dating until she became of legal age, and we witness a scene of domestic violence that turns into sort of like sexual violence to regular violence, where murders her and then burns her insides with acid. And then we, you know, tenants sort of hear about it on the news, but mostly ignore it. But throughout the entire first, second act, it's sort of a zombie movie. It's it's a it's building this contagion. It's infecting more people as it goes until towards the top of the second act, uh, it spills over. And our lead actor is a doctor and his nurse, who is sort of... In Played by two different people. A doctor and his nurse. <laughs> our lead actor... Who's Sorry. Who's our lead actor and a nurse. We see him graduate mid-film. Yeah. <laughs> wait, you mean... Wait. I'm taking away your stethoscope and your lab coat. We're bumping you down to nurse. You're a nurse now. <laughs> it's positive. He, he was a doctor. He decided that that wasn't his calling. He wanted to become a nurse. But he had a couple of credits that he had to do to qualify for nursing, mm-hmm. even though he's a doctor. It's different requirements. It's not all the same. He took the classes. Yeah, he's, he's a nurse bad way through the movie. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I care about my patients. I shouldn't be a doctor anymore. Dr. Uh, Byrne right there. Um, yeah, fuck you, doctor. <laughs> I want to make a lot less money and uh, also be the public face of all bad news. Um <laughs> I'm going to be a nurse. Uh, anyways, so there's uh, a doctor and his nurse, uh, and they're trying to traverse this apocalyptic situation. We meet also a date and dates. Uh, and, you know, there's couple, Get a date. Man. There's couples that are cheating on each other. And there's also this guy named Nicholas, who uh, is, it is in his apartment, who's um, an all facial expression performer. An all facial imp- expression performer who's sort of patient zero for this outbreak, it seems like. I guess he wouldn't be patient zero. He'd be like patient two. Um, two to three. They mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, so he uh, he's sort of uh, assaulting and hunting down uh, people in the building. And he's sort of demonstrating to the audience what this parasite is. This parasite is a sexual... STD, where you uh, infect people through sex, and then they turn into mindless sex zombies. And the thing about this movie, the crux is, the it seems like a sexy movie, 
by all accounts. This easily could have been a porno if you did an elevator pitch of it. And it is not. The sex is always kind of sad and gross. And it's always sexual assault, pretty much always. Uh, well, yeah, because it's... it's So, the, the scientist that kills himself at the beginning... Uh, he wanted to make a, a combination STD and um, aphrodisiac. So basically, the it's an STD that can uh, that can exist through sex. It can also travel outside the body as a slug and infect people that way. And it makes people only want to have sex. So yeah, this murder suicide that begins the film with a doctor, you, you know, murdering dash assaulting his his uh, you know his girlfriend. It's uh, we sort of learn more about him as the movie goes on, as his reign of, uh, you know, terror begins to kick up long after he's dead, that he, uh, you know, didn't believe in uh, traditional sexual norms. He wanted to destroy the nuclear family. He wanted people to become sexually liberated. He thought that would solve a lot of society's ills. And uh, we see uh, even a child assaulting a grown man in this. Yeah, because if you can call if, it that, I guess if you get assault, a virus where is. all you want to do is have sex, the thing is, if you are infected with a virus like that, and everything you see you want to have sex with, there's a good chance that uh, all of those sexual encounters will be uh, the dictionary definition of uh, violent rape. Yes, and so and this this makes a lot of sense coming from a guy who started having sex with uh, his girlfriend when she was a child, was twelve. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense that this like sexual degenerate would believe in a sort of sexual liberation that flattens the hierarchy of sex, that everybody could be the perpetrator, everybody could be the victim, uh, everybody could be the fucker, everybody could be the fucky. Like it's sort of a he believed in a sort of like consentless world where orgies could run rampant. Um, well, and he he very specifically because I wanna I wanna talk about this as soon as we're. We're done with this plot wrap-up. Very specifically, he thought that we had gotten too intellectual, that we were using our brains too much, that we had progressed too far as a society, and he wanted to just make us back to a world where just everybody fucks each other. And it's there's none of that uh, advancements and modern um, ideas of morality or, uh, or philosophy or ethics or anything like that. Which also, going back to his personal story, totally checks out that, like, he got so harangued and harassed by people for being a rapist that he was like, uh, you know what? People are thinking too much. That's their problem. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I really want to get into that. But so yeah. Why, so yeah. So yeah, while we're wrapping, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, the movie doesn't have a whole lot of plot. It's a lot of uh, small incidents leading up to people trying to this doctor and this nurse trying to escape the tower. They are unsuccessful, and the final shot is uh, a bunch of them getting in their cars and and driving out of the tower as you know these converted sex zombies to go spread the plague throughout the earth. Yes. So yeah, not a, lot, a whole lot of plot, but a lot of themes and a lot of character motivation then uh, that you would expect from a zombie movie like this. So we're going to talk a little bit about how this fits into Cronenberg, uh, the history behind the movie. But I, I feel like I got to just start, rip the bandaid off and talk about how if this movie works for me and how it works for me. So I saw this uh, on a back-to-back feature of my own making with Rabbit about five or six years ago, I walked away from both thinking interesting shows a lot of uh, the the obsessions that would drive Cronenberg for the rest of his career. Uh, 
Shivers is uh, the one I liked better, and Rabbit was the one that I respected but didn't like at all. Now I'm watching Shivers again outside of the context of watching it with Rabbit and comparing the two, and I feel like I, I'm not a big fan of this movie besides besides an insight into into Cronenberg's obsession with uh, the body and flesh and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I want to talk about that a little little more detail. Here's how the movie can work for me. But it is really throwing away what I think is authorial intent, which is this idea of the scientist, this learned white man who wants to take advantage of people, sees progress as an inhibitor to the vile behavior that he wants to accomplish. And so his plan is to regress society to the point where his behavior is acceptable. Now, I don't think that that is the theme of the movie in the way that Cronenberg intended. However, that perspective and that allegorical point was coming through very loud and clear in this movie in a time where we have a dedicated group of rich, powerful white men who would like to commit crimes and sins against the rest of us and when they are told you can't do that anymore, are trying to make, you know, take America back and bring America back to the way it used to be, which is like being able to call black people racist names and treat women like uh, second class citizens and on and on and on. So seeing the movie as an allegory for that is the way that the movie works for me. Seeing it as a probably the way that Cronenberg intended, which was, you know, how gross our bodies are and uh, the way that how, you know, society can devolve and and stuff like that. It doesn't work for me because it all of the the rape aspects are gross instead of a commentary on the actions of powerful white men to regress our society to a point where their behavior is acceptable. Um, I mostly agree. I, I think when I first saw this movie, I saw it purely as a dark star, a following, a movie that was made by uh, a director to be a proof of concept for their career and get them larger projects. But like, I don't think ultimately works as its own thing. I think it works to inform uh, inform the later works when you're diving into the director as you know a unit. Uh, his work as he is a filmography, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that anymore. I think that it does work as its own film because of how much it tries to subvert and challenge these power structures that we already have. It, it, it can't be. T it's taken as this movie that I think tries to um, break a lot of break us out of these sort of like mental habits that we have about how we think about sexual assault. How we think about power dynamics and sexual relationships and how we think about how we think about how men and women relate to one another. Because uh, it sort of is saying that these, this parasite doesn't care that you're a man, you're a woman, you're a child. It's sort of flattening that hierarchy and making everybody a, uh, a, a sexual uh, predator, which uh, it's... You know, in real life, it's not saying, you know, we're all sexual predators. You got to watch out. Because, I mean, men can be sexual predators. Women can be sexual predators. But that's not the problem we're dealing with in society today. That's, the movie's not saying that. It's not saying everybody no. is a predator. No, and the movie's not saying what I'm – like, it's very clearly not saying the way that I'm reading it. 
it just that that reading of it resonates so strongly from the screen looking at it through the prism of of 2017 and that's actually the way that the the metaphors and even the the very disgusting and constant rape scenes that's the only way it works for me and it is, otherwise i think it's actually what you know it's about cronenberg's obsession with the body with the flesh and i you can make a good case a very convincing case that for cronenberg himself and who knows if this is true of the man uh and the way he thinks but his movies would speak to this obsession where He's almost like clinically removed from portraying people as actual human beings that were all just like this mess of gross body parts and flesh and that can be, you know, pried and pricked and torn and abused. He's kind of the the professor in a laboratory, like poking the lab rat to see how what makes him tick, like taking up the the third grader, taking apart frogs and stuff like that. That's. I'm not saying he did that stuff in real life, but that's kind of the way his movies treat human beings. But obviously, when we're watching this, we're not Cronenberg. We, we're not trying to just say, well, look, this is a experiment of, of looking at people as these gross bodies of flesh in the way that they can be sexually violated and what that means and stuff like that. Because we all know, sitting at home, well, sure, but these are human beings. Like, they're not just gross uh, mounds of flesh. They do have these, like, wants and desires and human rights and stuff like that. So when you make an all-rape movie, it can have some audacity and some some components that are worth talking about. But it doesn't mean it's enjoyable. And I also think that probably from what he intended, it's – I don't know what the right – I don't want to say unwatchable, but it's – it's like okay, yeah, no, I get what you are in- obsessed with, but I, it's gross. I think I bad. think that uh, the body horror aspect of it is a little overblown, a little bit, because I don't think I think that there is stuff in here that's supposed to gross you out on that sort of like yeah, ooh, gross like kind of level. But I think that the 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 cold clinical sort of thing that Cronenberg gets accused of, whether or not it's true or not, is not saying that he is completely detached from humanity. He's merely saying, I'm going to approach humanity not from a humanist perspective. I'm going to attach it, uh, attack it from a sociological perspective, from a, you know, down in the, you know, from satellite view. He's saying, can we maybe fix these problems? Can we examine these problems? Uh, and those are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes filmmakers just want to uh, explain issues with society as opposed to saying I have a solution for it. And I more often prefer the exposing filmmakers rather than the filmmakers that propose to have solutions. He's saying it from, let's not view it from this micro level, this human level, this emotional level. Let's view it from the satellite level and see if we can we can have um, some truths from that, which I really respect. And I, I don't think that he's an empty provocateur provocateur in that yeah, level. I don't I don't I don't think so either. I hope that that's not how it came. I'm just think, saying I think he has a structure. He's 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 trying to view society's structures and how these power dynamics work and we know pretty quickly that uh things are being violated. The the yeah, the the most horrifying shot in the movie and I don't know if that is for you. The most horrifying shot for me in the movie is when um a girl zombie uh, who's just escaped an elevator where, uh, you know, an outside interloper came in with her and her two parents. An outside interloper yeah. came in the elevator, violated all three of them, presumably, or, you know, violated one of them and then infected the rest, blah, blah. The, her whole family holds down a security guard and then she kisses him on the lips, the security yep. guard. Uh, not since uh, the by innocence. Woman, I, I just want to clarify. 
It, this is the like 10, 12 year old girl. It's a 10 or 12 year old girl to a grown man. Yeah. Um, and it very much like the innocence has a kiss like that as well, where it's a little boy uh, assaulting a grown woman. But it is still like a, you know, a, a sexual violation. And not, and those are like two things that have stuck out in my head. This idea of like children flipping the power tables and becoming the sexual transgressor is such a horrifying concept to us because we in our hearts know that children cannot give consent. Children are, are never ever the sexual transgressor because even if they are approaching you sexually, they are, they are incapable of knowing what they're talking about. Knowing what they're yeah. proposing. So that, that's why it's so horrifying because this parasite has completely broken that. It has flattened the hierarchy. This is this is not a child. This is merely a vessel for this disgusting parasite. And uh, we're horrified by it as we should be because we are seeing the thing that separates us from a parasite be completely dissolved. Yeah, and I uh, I think you're right to get – besides the fact that obviously that is the most horrifying scene in the movie, it's – very uncomfortable to watch. Uh, it's, it's meant so to be. uncomfortable. It's, it's, yeah, it's 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 absolutely meant to be. So I'm. That's not a. You can you can you can debate whether it was needed or not. But it's definitely doing exactly what it intended for the reasons that Peter laid out. I will just say that to get back to your point about like Cronenberg being obsessed with like what makes us human and pulling that apart. I think when he he didn't get good at addressing those components of deconstructing us from a sexual nature until Dead Ringers. He clearly it clearly was an early obsession with him when you talk about uh you know his first two main, you know, major movies were mm-hmm. were This and Rabbit, which are all about sex. And he then went on to make movies about like how our humanity interacts with technology and like the fly and um, and Videodrome and uh, eventually existence too. Uh, and a little bit about like deconstructing the idea of humanity in some of his other movies. And I really don't think he really kind of struck that, that like chord of Cronenberg tackles the idea of sex from his perspective. Well, until dead ringers, which is an, Listen, listen, you're going to if you're going to attack me, the best way to attack me is to bring up Dead Ringers because Dead Ringers is, I think, his best. What? I don't I don't think I'm attacking you. You are. You are. uh, I I think I'm agreeing with you. I just I just I'm saying that he if you want want to if you want to say that, like, he did this better. Holy shit. Has he done this better? Well, yeah, but I (laughs) I don't I, I can get why when you're talking about like. You know, the flesh and what makes us human and ripping apart those barriers to deconstruct us is like these masses of like synapses and muscle and and stuff like that. Like one of the first things you think in your head of like um, of a deconstruction of of the parts that keep society functioning. Thinking about that stuff from a sexual nature is one of the easiest things to do. Here we are. If everything crumbles, what's our most base desire? It's like food and it's sex. That's what, you know, you know, any pop psychologist would probably a bad pop psychologist would tell you. Like when it comes down to it, we're all about survival, which is food and water and reproduction, which is sex. So I think I think addressing his themes from a sexual perspective is obviously the the first thing that someone like a Cronenberg is going to do, because that, of course, is one of the first things that you think about when you think about destructing uh, people. But I don't think he, it, it just doesn't. It's not a success until Dead Ringers, I don't think. I, 
Um, I agree with you that he's done it better, but I think this movie, like I said, some of these movies are kind of proof of concepts for what the directors would do later in their career. I think this completely functions as its own movie because of how it deals with sexuality and the fact that it it doesn't feel like a comp it doesn't feel like a compromise work to me because it's about sex like i really like that it opens with this horrific assault because it's essentially if you went in this movie thinking oh shit these are like sex zombies but instead of eating you they fuck you like that's really cool if you yeah I, i have a note like that like this this is like a uh terrible like 13 year old boy fantasy brought to like horrific life yes and i think the fact that i think that thinking about it from that pervert coming into this 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 hypological this hypothetical pervert coming into the cinema thinking it's going to be this like sexy sex movie uh, and then getting none of what he wants i think that that's like weirdly the point of the movie in a microcosm like the point of the movie is that this us breaking down all of these barriers where we like it's good for us to think about why you know people cheat in relationships and it's and why monogamy can be really difficult for a lot of people uh i was gonna say most but i don't really have statistics to back that up uh why monogamy can be really hard for a lot of people and why you know we're living longer but like we're expected to have one marriage like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh expectations that society has from you that clearly we're not fulfilling the majority of people are not fulfilling and this movie coming in and being like this isn't what you thought it'd be is also sort of the scientist being told this parasite is not what you thought it would be and it's uh, people saying to, you know, 1960s, like, uh, counterculture, like, this isn't what you thought it would be. The sexual revolution was not what you thought it would be. In fact, the sexual revolution led to a lot of degradation of women. While, you know, men got to sleep around, women were shamed for doing the same thing. Like, the idea of this pervert coming in and, like, being told immediately, uh, this is what you thought it would be is kind of like, one of the more powerful ways I think you could start a movie, whereas like right off the bat, you're disgusted. You're like, oh man, you started with a rape. Um, and I, yeah. I guess my final thought on that is that it reminds me of Tokyo, the Tokyo stuff in Solaris. Tarkovsky claimed, or at least, you know, it's sort of apocryphal that Tarkovsky claimed he put that in so people would know that they didn't walk into a Star Wars movie. Um, I feel like that's the same thing. It starts with this rape scene to let people know this is not a sexy, sexy softcore porno or something. So it's definitely telling you what movie it is. I want to be clear that the movie does work for me in in some respects. It is just it's a it's an extremely difficult watch. It's uh exploitive to a degree that I'm not comfortable. Like it is it is not a bad movie. It is not like like Cronenberg is trying to do something and I think he's successful at what he's trying to do within his uh limited experience and limited budget. It is just I don't. I don't think he's as successful as other movies that have ta- tackled uh, this idea of uh, societies breaking down uh, and and people returning to their animal instincts, uh, as well as a lot of other movies, including ones, by the way, that take place in giant apartment buildings. <laughs> like High Rise is a much better version of of this of all the themes of this movie. I agree and I don't agree. I think High Rise has its own problems with um, like the ways it tries to be sexually transgressive. Um, But that's what I mean. That's what the movie's about: is this idea of look at this modern society 
And what happens if there's a regression that occurs and and the the functions of society that everyone uh, assumes is going to keep them safe? It's why they have the commentary of the gun at the beginning of this movie. He's like, oh, do you ever use that gun? No. Why would I ever need to? It just makes people feel safe. You don't need it anymore. So it, it feels like it is about all that stuff breaking down. Yeah, I think that I think that both movies have pluses and minuses for how they address the times. I think High Rises particularly has current relevance because it was made two years ago. Um, yeah. So it does have a, a specific relevance that I think that this movie doesn't have, but it was made for, uh, yeah, a 2015 audience. Um, also, this is so quite a week to do. This is quite a week to do uh, rape zombies, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I re- and, and that's why, again, it w- the movie works for me best if I if I view it in a way of powerful old white men trying to regress society to the point that they can do all the things that we are now telling them. Hey, assholes! It's not Mad Men. Not that it was okay then, but you can't sexually harass or abuse or all these types of things with 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 women. You can't be a racist. You can't like. You have to respect, like, uh, LGBTQ rights, all that kind of stuff. And um, we have powerful men in this country who are trying to spend literally billions of dollars to make sure that that doesn't come to fruition. <laughs> so seeing uh, this, this, this uh, you know, white old professor take these extreme drastic steps to make a society that will be okay with his regressive behavior in the way that he wants to behave – like that is so resonant. Yeah, I that think that's a like really out of t- that's yeah. a good. Re- I think that's a good modernist reading of it, or modern, you know, contemporary reading of it. I should say. Um, yeah, so that's how it works for me. Like it works in that way. It doesn't necessarily work as this. What if society, the safe society, breaks down and we all start fucking? Yeah, I see it more as like the trying to extrapolate why certain structures are there and getting to view it from this outside perspective where like what if an apocalyptic scenario happened but it wasn't it isn't the apocalyptic scenario where like we all just die that's yeah that that says one thing about society but it's it's the sort of thing where we're all getting converted to a special thing that breaks us down in a different way it doesn't just make us mindless killers it makes us you know um, <clears throat> mindless heat. Um, and I think I, I think I view it from your perspective. I can view it from your perspective, I should say. But I also just really like it as like a social provocation. Um, we should talk a little bit about how provocative this movie was. It is arguably yeah, it is arguably one of the most controversial Canadian movies ever made. Maybe the most. Yeah, and that's I mean, and Canadians notoriously polite, notorious shy of controversy. Um, I mean, if you so much as like sneeze in the wrong direction, you're fucking out of Canada. It's true. It's true. I was escorted to the border, um, and then and then given a free taxi ride all the way home. Yeah, yeah. because they're polite still. Yeah, and they gave me some antibiotics, and they said to come back for my surgery next week. Oh, shit, they gave me citizenship. <laughs> Please vote. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's talk. Let's. Why don't you give, like, an overview of how our opening tagline is truthful in that this movie was deemed such a, uh, such a quagmire of an investment in Canada that they evicted David Cronenberg from the apartment he was living with 
under uh, some sort of like moral clause in his contract. So, uh, one morality ha- clause. So, what happened is uh, this movie was made during a specific time when, for pretty much all the seventies, uh, from like nineteen seventy three to like nineteen eighty one, wherein the Canadian government offered a insanely awesome tax break for people that were financing films shot and made in Canada, where. You, if you had like a good amount of money, if you were like rich, but not necessarily super rich, you could offer $50,000, whatever, $100,000 to a production. And that could be a tax write off from a one to one ratio. If you said, uh, you know, I'm going to give $50,000 to this film production, the Canadian government would let you write off $50,000 on your tax. It eventually went after this era because uh, it was so controversial. It eventually went to 50 and then eventually it went away. But this was like a golden time for Canadian production. But well, and this is one of the movies that helped usher in um, this and Rabbit and a few other filmmakers helped ushered it going away based on the movies that it was basically uh, in some ways being wholly financed by the Canadian government. Yeah. So the the deal is basically that this movie was made and people were saying, why are tax dollars going to pay for films that not only make Canada look bad, but aren't necessarily even specifically Canadian, which I think this movie does have specific aspects that are Canadian and it's speaking to a Canadian audience and it's subversive to Canadian social structures and sexual structures that I think, you know, speaks to the culture and therefore is important. Obviously, I'm not saying this movie should not have been funded, but uh, that was a that was a big conversation at the time. And there was a big conversation going on whether or not it should film these horror movies, these genre movies. And that was a discussion because of the disrespect to genre movies. And one of our goals as a podcast has been to flatten, like I was talking about earlier, uh, with regards to what Cronenberg is doing as a sort of like, you know, ideological hypothetical. Um, our, one of our goals as a podcast is to sort of flatten like art movies and horror movies and genre movies all on the same level. Yeah. Treat dramas with the same respect that you would uh, a trashy movie made for $50,000. And then one, and then one rung below that Canadian film. And one rung below that Canadian films, and especially at a time when the Canadian film industry was so small, the idea that uh, tax dollars were going to pay for uh, these like trashy movies that didn't necessarily make the homeland look good, and a lot of people weren't going to enjoy, was very controversial. And this movie got a famous uh, Canadian film reviewer wrote an article uh, outing this this phenomena, and kicking off a lot of the conversation and uh, basically it got David Cronenberg kicked out of his apartment because his landlord uh, thought he was, who hadn't seen the movie, just read a description of it, thought he was some scuzzball. Yeah. And uh, Roger Ebert actually, he only gave it two and a half stars, but he wrote a somewhat positive review of this movie. He saw it on a double feature uh, with a movie I think called, I think it was called Snuff, uh, which was another like B exploitation movie from the seventies. And he was and he was impressed that this movie rose above those kind of grindhouse B movies and like had something to say. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely it got noticed in more than more than one way. But the fact that this really like really led to some sort of like minor moral panic in Canada over the fact that the government literally paid for this movie to exist is uh, very humorous. Uh, I think, in retrospect. And you know who was uh, a producer on this movie, right? Or produced it? Uh, Ivan Reitman? Yeah. 
pretty amazing. Now, did you know that or did you just guess the only Canadian producer from the 70s you could think of? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. I knew Ivan, Reim- yeah. Ivan Reimann had a really great uh, podcast interview I listened to at one point where he was talking about all the cool projects that he had he had worked on and how proud he was to be Canadian. And, and this was a, a name he dropped. And I think that was the reason I watched this movie. So one thing that is kind of amazing watching this movie, I think if you showed it and you didn't tell someone the year that this would shock you that this movie is a pre-AIDS movie. By like oh my six God. years. Yes, yes. That's a great point. Because this is like paranoia of AIDS in the early 80s personified into a genre. And like I actually went to Wikipedia. You know, I went and checked. I'm like, okay, did they kind of know about AIDS? Maybe like Cronenberg was ahead of the medical research at the time. And no, six years before anyone had ever heard of HIV and AIDS. And – the idea that they made a movie that was on, almost prescient at like the paranoia and uh, certain people's fantasies of what an AIDS epidemic would look like, like personified on screen is amazing. It is amazing. And he tends to be really prescient about – Cronenberg tends to be really prescient about uh, where things will be five to ten years from now. And if yeah. not if not prescient about that, uh, sort of acts as a uh, – a totally fair elaboration on where we're headed, but he usually doesn't use it. Like in Videodrome is is a movie that's very much about television, but like he seems to have like a pretty balanced view of how media affects people, despite the fact that the yeah. movie is so salacious. And this is a similar thing where like he in interviews would say that like, oh, he was on the side of the virus. He, he had sympathy for the virus, the parasite. And at some point you kind of see that where you're like, some part of him resents that we have such hypocritical, awful social structures and he like would like to see them burned down. But on the other hand, obviously, this would be a horrible thing. You're right, because Videodrome, I actually think, applies more to the Internet than it does like UHF channels on old television 100% stations. 100% more applies to the Internet. He predicted it. Yeah, and he, he gets he, – he, Existence, I think, was pretty prescient. Yes. Um, you know, he he seems to somehow not predict the future, but pre- he accurately predicts humans' response to certain stimuli. He's like, well, if something was this addicting, this is how humans would behave. And if a sex virus was – uh, was this contagious and considered this deadly? This is how humans would behave. So it's not so much that he can predict the future, but he's when he's fantasizing about scenarios, he seems to be very good at accurately predicting the human response. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, he's also someone from a medical background, so like that sort of like he went from doctor to nurse, right? Yeah, he went from doctor to nurse, which explains uh, the film entirely. No, he he was <laughs> someone from a medical background who. Got into filmmaking, and it is reflected in his work, and it is sort of a hack thing to say that, like, that's why he has that perspective, but it truly does explain why he was invested, he was interested in medical stuff as well. Like, he just has a, a perspective that involves human behavior, what leads to that. So, I like, uh, I like this movie quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I respect it, I like it. I just am so conflicted because we didn't really get a chance to talk about. 
some of the really like the bathtub scene, which is on the cover of I, the DVD, which is like in contrast to the bathtub scene that we talked about last week with Slither, which is not about which which we which we underlined was more about uh, vulnerability than about exploitation. And this is like it doesn't help that the slug monsters are just like they're not even phallic metaphors. They they just look like penises, but they're also like gross and um, they look like poop penises. Yeah, poop the poop they're, they're poopy dicks. Um, poopy dicks, like unconnected from everything. And at one point, it just flies up a drain of one of our protagonists, and then it goes through a bathtub, and then it goes inserts itself into uh, the vagina, and then blood comes out in the bathtub, and that's it. I. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Aaron. I think that actually tub slugs is uh, is the the uh, most problematic scene in this movie because it's detached from everything. Um, yep. There's a uh, I think a lot of the assaults of this movie are asking questions. This one is purely a sexual salacious. assault scene. That's it's salacious, and you're watching a beautiful woman, Barbara Steele, be uh, assaulted in a bathtub, and it's like even. By a disembodied poop dick. Yeah, it's not. And like, then cuts away. It cuts away. Like it's not. The even question it's asking she, is, wouldn't it be weird if a poop dick went up your vagina? Which yeah, is not a great question yeah. to ask. I don't think. No, and that really is where, if the goal of scenes like the the twelve year old girl like forcefully kissing a forty year old man is to make you uncomfortable with the idea of sexual society, sexual norms and boundaries being taken down, fine. It is uncomfortable. I don't like watching it. it, but it, but it's accomplishing its mission. This is like, what if we saw a beautiful girl naked and then she was violated? There's it. There's nothing that fits to what Cronenberg's trying to do. And it's, I think Cronenberg from 10, 15 years later, Dead Ringers Cronenberg could have made a better version of this where it's, it's not betraying its own ideas by trying to fit into a grindhouse double feature. I think that that is the only scene that really betrays the movie, to be honest. Um, I think there's well, some- I also, but I, I think you were a little, like, not disingenuous, but it should be about this idea that if, if you're going down the themes that Cronenberg is outlining, it should be more about the idea that, that they can possess men and women and both men and women can commit these kind of assaults because they are possessed. The movie leans so heavily on men assaulting women and gives a little bit of lip service to oh yeah women can do this too here's here's this one woman attacking this pizza guy or whatever he is if there was if there was a more even uh split of that it would be better but it's not like it's almost it's 90 percent until the very end scene um but it's not just men, about men that, attacking though. women i think it's not just about that though it's also about I think it also sort of challenges, from that perspective, men coming after women as well, um, from a feminist perspective as well. There's a moment when uh, Nicholas is sitting on the couch with his partner, and he's saying, make love to me, Janine. You're my wife. And he's saying, you're yeah. my wife, over and over again. And the idea of this scene is that even with the parasite in him, he's using the same fucked up excuses that men use now for assault on women. And the idea is, like, that is a whole other aspect of, you know, what on its surface would just be another man assaulting another woman. But it's what it's really doing is saying, uh, hey, 
This parent, sometimes you wouldn't even be able to tell. The wife can't quite tell that something's wrong with him. You might not even be able to tell that this parasite would be in you because you are acting like such a fucking animal and you're taking advantage of the trust of your wife. So, like, I think it's a little unfair to say that just like, oh, another man-on-woman rape scene. Like, I think that there's more, there's more nuance in how those scenes unfold and there's more sort of approaches to sexual boundaries and societal boundaries being collapsed uh, that Cronenberg is approaching there. Approaching is the right word. I think he is uh, looking for a landing but doesn't land the themes on those subjects. So I can see in the same way that you are taking a modicum of something and I'm not going to say extrapolating it. But I, I think you are a little bit like I, I don't think it's as strong uh, theme as any more than I'm saying that like, hey, what if the whole movie is about white guys regressing society like that's it's there. But I'm expanding it because that's the reading that is most interesting to me. Cronenberg is definitely circling those themes, but I just I don't think he sticks the landing enough for it to be interesting to me or or, you know, it's if I watch it again. One of the great things about this show, when we pick up different parts of the movie that speak to us, is that a lot of times when I rewatch some of these movies, I'm now seeing it from your perspective as well. And so maybe those themes that didn't speak to me this time, maybe I'm not giving it a fair shake. Uh, and when I watch it this time, attuned to the way that you viewed them, I'll be like, oh, this this does have some interesting things to say about marriage and monogamy. I mean, I think it's coming from a, a wider perspective, so it can't drill down into every single moment and have yeah. an entire conversation there, but it's trying to hit you hard at pressure points in your ideas about how uh, people should relate to one another and maybe hit you with blind spots where, you know, uh, now I think we're more aware of marital, like for what I was just talking about, I think now we're more aware of marital rape. But I don't think yeah. that was something anybody was talking about no. in a wide in a, a wider sense in 1975. So, hundred percent true. And the best part of that scene is when she realizes there's something wrong. She makes up an obvious bullshit excuse to get out of the situation where she needs to take her contacts out. And then you're like, "Oh, good. That's a great excuse. She doesn't want to make love without her contacts out. Now she can leave." And instead, she goes and just takes her contacts out. And that. That part I love because it is like, yes, yeah, she thought of an excuse to get out of the moment, but not an excuse that actually really gets her out of the scene. She she's not she can't just leave her husband, but at least she bought herself like 30 seconds to catch her breath before she has to enter the horror and abuse that is taking place again. So I, I do love that scene. And that kind of proves your point um, quite a bit. Yeah, I think so. That, but yeah, I think we can kind of we can kind of wrap it up because I think yeah. that we're kind of wrap just, it up on that on the happy same, note. Yeah, we're on the same page. I think uh, we're we're at least close to the same page. I think on this this one, but I yeah. think that the, the general idea is whether or not it we we're saying that the movie is saying the same things, but the general idea is whether or not it is uh, saying it in the best way it could have, or if you know later movies said it better, or is it worth it? Like, that's the thing. It's a Cronenberg is one of my favorite directors. He was one of the first guys who I'm like in high school when I was finding directors that I was obsessed with. He was probably in those first 10 because he was making these movies that were so unique. And I, I know we talked about this a lot on our fly episode. You know, it, it's a challenging movie. It is it is meant to deconstruct the norms of the 70s. And that resonates now. So 
whether it's enjoyable, whether it succeeds, whether it's good, is probably going to change from experience to experience. I liked it way more the last time I watched it. Had a lot more problems with it now. But my problems are the fact that it is such a difficult movie to grapple with. And Peter, I think you've kind of went all all over the spectrum with this movie, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Uh, yeah, I didn't like this movie the first time I saw it because I purely saw it as a uh, rape exploitation movie. And then uh, as I've gotten more affiliated with what Cronenberg is after, I think that I uh, softened on it. And now I totally see why why audiences at the time would have trouble with yeah. it. And now we're, we're the ideal audience for it. And even at the time, I was like, Oh, brother, another rape. Yeah. Which is it, a fair just, response it's, because it's still this – is, this is supposed to be a controversial. It's supposed to be a provocative movie. Yeah, it's definitely challenging and I, I don't I don't find it offensive. I don't – I don't think that this is like a, a Mother's Day or anywhere in that same ballpark. Like it is – it is just sometimes I think it is inelegant and when it can be inelegant about the subject matter that it is trying to talk about, that can make a movie difficult to watch. So my my problems with the movie are my are definitely my own, and in the sense that I don't I, I don't hold like Cronenberg accountable. I don't think that he made a bad movie. I think he set out to what he wanted to. I just it's a it's it's a it's a tough one. Which is why we didn't do the slugfest. Why we didn't do the slugfest voice the entire time we were talking about the movie because it would be wildly inappropriate. The slugfest voice was not appropriate at any point in this movie. This is us basically saying this is over because. But I'll I'll leave Peter for some non-slugfest final thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is not a fun slugfest movie. It's definitely sluggable, but it is. We probably should have had this movie earlier in the month so we can end on a high note. But uh, yeah, I think that the uh, I think that the movie it doesn't have a lot of um, funness to it. But in that sense, it's kind of a pure horror film for that. Uh, it's a movie that doesn't just challenge you and your gross visceral thrills. It also challenges your your view of how you – your worldview and your perspective. Um, so I uh, – yeah, I'm going to – I'm still positive on the film. But yeah, it's not a fun movie to necessarily talk about in this context. Uh, maybe we should have ended with Slither or Slugs and Night of the Creeps, any of them. But well, I think we handled the movie well because I think if we had pretended this would have been a uh, silly slugfest movie, we would have uh, not done justice to it. So, um, and yeah, I think once again, I think we did great. Uh, I think we did great. We're um, Mama's Special Boys um, and we get our ice cream. What are we doing for the last week of Spooktober? Our Peter? fun special episode is going to be a three section episode starting with the video dun, game dun, Resident Evil dun. Uh, which is originally released on PlayStation and then re-released on every platform in the firm in the version of its uh, 2002 remake and then we're going to be doing the George Romero script he co-wrote it with somebody uh, we will have the name next week George Romero or <laughs> yes yes and then the Paul W.S. Anderson movie that was what we ended up with and then spawned a massive horror franchise uh and we're gonna be talking about all three of those next week as our halloween spooktober uh wrap up uh unrelated to slugs though morgan uh informed us that uh one of the resident evil games has like slug zero zero yeah. has sluggies in it but we're not playing that one. we're not playing the sluggy one because we didn't know that we- and it would kind of ruin the concept of the episode <laughs>
and we we maybe we'll do the the voices when we recap how it went the previous few weeks because we might miss them for the rest of the episodes for the month. I'm going to be drinking tea with honey. I'm going to sleep very well after all of these recordings. <laughs> it's going to look As like a tumbler now commercial. where I toss and turn because I've had too much carbonation. <laughs> Uh, one thing I do want to mention, Please just don't. so you guys know where we come from uh, on the Resident Evil side of it, is that uh, – so I've never uh, played a Resident Evil game to completion more than an hour, as a matter of fact. So this will be my first time really going through a Resident Evil game. I've never read the script, and I've only seen the first two Resident Evil movies, and uh, both when they came out in theaters. So a lot of this is going to be new for me, Peter. Uh, I played a bunch of the Resident Evil games, and so this will be a revisiting of the series, and I've seen, uh, I don't know, four of the movies? Five of the movies? They all kind of blur together. We'll talk about that so next got week. a little bit of salt, you got a little bit of pepper. You're going to have a balanced meal with a lot of, well, I don't know, you're going to have a lot of spice. Fuck, now we have to uh, play Shoop for every song next week. I mean, you don't need to twist my arm for that. And then, November, very quickly... Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna continue the horror month. I think we already announced this back in July. Our tribute to George Romero is that we're gonna go through uh, the four, the first four dead movies. So we're gonna be doing Night of the Living Dead with Ethan Warren, who has never seen any of these movies. Somehow, that's nutty. He's watch Night. I know it's amazing. Like what a get! <laughs> but he's gonna watch Night of the Living Dead for the first time. Um, and then we're gonna be doing Dawn of the Dead, uh, Day of the Dead. And um, in Land of the Dead, we'll announce some more guests for those next week. So so we'll have more on, on Romero Dead Month uh, next week. But for all you slugs out there, keep on slugging. watching some horror movies. Keep on slip sliding around in your sluggy bellies. Keep on slugging the free world. Keep on slugging in the free world. I am slug. I am Vincible. You well, only need wondering. salt. <laughs> Hold on, I was wondering where you were going with that. Can you do that again quick? I am Slug. I am Vincible. All you need is salt. All you need is salt. <laughs> Good night. listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.